welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, possibly comics, video games, much, much more. Uh, with me, as always, are Chad Schonk and Ryan Schweck. So over to you, Chad. This is just a reminder. This is a book club, not a review show. So we expect you to have done the reading or to not care about spoilers. In addition, we may be discussing other Star Wars stories out there, up to and including the final season of Clone Wars. So you've been warned. So uh, head of research, Ryan, uh, has there been any Star Wars news that come about since the last time we spoke? So much. <laughs> There's been a lot in the realm of fiction and both you know, the books and on the Disney Plus TV side of things and some toys. They have announced the next audiobook is going to be a Dr. Afra. So kind of in the same way they did Jedi Lost about Dooku, they will do Dr. Afra, which, again, I think shows they're they're starting to push her more and more. She got a big launch of a new comic book in the past. I guess it was two weeks ago. Um, and now the audio drama will come out in the fall. And I'm assuming they will eventually publish the script of it like they did with Jedi Lost. But I'm looking forward to it. You know, I really like Afra. I wasn't too impressed with the first issue of the new series, but it's just the first one. So we will see. And then in the many, many Disney Plus announcements, starting with the Cassian Andor show, Mon Mothma is going to be in it. They have, and I cannot remember her name offhand. Geraldine something. It's Geraldine something. Yeah, who plays Mon Mothma in Rogue One will reprise the role for Cassian. And, um, in, and in Revenge of the Sith. Yep. So that's good. I mean, I, I assumed they would do that. There are rumors going around that Bale Organa will also be in it. We'll have to see. The family of Carrie Fisher announced this week that they have requested that her likeness no longer be used in any Star Wars shows. Or I think they were OK with uh, Rise of Skywalker, you know, to finish it off and kind of what they did. But past that, they've requested that she not be digitally put in any movies or anything else. So, you know, I, I, I would also request that. that. I would also yeah. request that. Yeah, I think that's good. Genevieve O'Reilly, by the way, just uh, for and then on the many, many rumors for The Mandalorian and possible other shows, we are going to get old Sackoff for Bo-Katan, who will also be in The Mandalorian Season 2. I am very excited for that. Yeah. Are you upset if you're Ashley Eckstein? <sighs> you know, after watching uh, videos of her and seeing her, I just don't think she has the right look to play it in real life. And Katie, I can see that she'd be upset. Katie's an actress on live action shows already. Yeah. So it's not like a jump that she's just a voice actor moving yeah. over to being on a show. But, you know, I, I think it's good. I think she'll look. I mean, she already kind of looks like Bo-Katan on Clone Wars anyway. So if it's on The Mandalorian, we may never see her face anyway. Another let's see another breaking story that actually came out yesterday. So one of the sources that first reported Boba Fett was possibly going on The Mandalorian. Oh, which happened. And also, while I was going to say, we're not going to talk about Tomorrow <laughs> Yeah, I forgot about that. Tomorrow Morrison is now going to be on The Mandalorian. What I find interesting is sites reported he's playing Boba Fett, and I guess that's kind of confirmed. You know, they've said that it's possibly the guy and was that episode eight, but I'm still holding out. He might play Ray. We'll see. I mean, I'm just not a huge fan of Boba Fett. I just don't need Boba Fett on The Mandalorian. I don't Agreed. want it to overshadow things. I even with all these other announcements of all these people coming on to the Mandalorian, I don't know. To me, it's starting to feel a little crowded and kind of back to that Star Wars is a small 
small universe. You know what I mean? And that everything so doesn't much. have to tie together. I think they're just going to be appearances, though. I don't think they're going to be regular cast members. I yeah, mean, we were kind of joking. It would be funny if it was just the Mandalorian goes into like a cantina and you just see like Sabine and Ahsoka and Rex sitting at a table. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> they just walk by and the end. I mean, they made they, they put out a press release when they cast Ming-Na in season one. And then uh, she was in uh, one episode. There were several people that they were like, hey, this person's on The Mandalorian. You're like, well, no, they did a guest spot on The Mandalorian. So I suspect a lot of these are going to be guest spots. Bo-Katan now being on it kind of makes me think more and more it's going to be some sort of flashback with the Darksaber. To just show, like, you know, kind of where, how the Darksaber got to where it is and what it is, and then move on. Are we going to watch Gus Fring kill Bo-Katan? I hope not. That Mm. would be sad. But going along with that, so the site that seems to have pretty reliable sources, you know, who kind of reported some of this early, did report yesterday that there is a new series in the works headed by Filoni, and it is the live-action sequel to Rebels. Mm -hmm. That this is kind of... You know, it's one of those introduce them on the Mandalorian and then here's your new show. Back to yep. pilot. It will be the search for Ezra. So we'll see. Yeah, I think with the COVID we've talked about before, it's so weird that these are probably announcements that were planned for San Diego and Celebration. Without those, you know, they're trying to figure out how to do them and they're well, all getting leaked out. To be fair, they also have to figure out how to shoot them. Right. Hollywood is still shut down and they are wrecking their brains right now. I know Steven Soderbergh, he's got a panel. They're trying to figure out how are they going to shoot movies anytime soon? How are they going to shoot, shoot TV? So what you're, you're seeing in the news is a lot of deals being made. Uh, I mean, if you go on, it's tons of deals, tons of people signing, tons of movies. Um, You know, so-and-so signing to this show and so-and-so is doing this movie. But none of them are actually being made yet. None right. of them. I, I remain optimistic, but I have no idea how much of how many movies they're going to make next year. How many TV shows they're going to make next year. So. Well, and speaking cool. of movies, I can't remember if we talked about this on the last one. I don't think so. Oh, Watiti is going to get his own Star Wars movie. I like him. I think he's funny. I think when he kind of is able to reel in his comedy, like we've talked about on the main podcast, he's really good. But there's always that danger of him going too overboard on comedy. But I'll tell you, after that last, now I guess it was the first episode of the Disney Plus Gallery Mandalorian, kind of watching what he did and them talking about him, it made me feel better about it. Which, by the way, for listeners, if you've not watched the Gallery episodes about the making of Mandalorian. They are amazing. Every time I think I'm going to pause my Disney Plus subscription for a little while, they come out with something else that I have to watch. So, Chad, you said you have not watched them? No, not yet. I haven't had time. No, I haven't got I will yet. tell you, and without, you yeah. know, this is not details or anything. At one point, Filoni goes on. I mean, it's probably a good seven or eight minutes at least just talking about the prequels and what he thinks about them and how he sees the story. It made me ashamed to talk about Star Wars. (laughs) That's why I said he makes me feel like a poser listening to him talk. I'm like, I don't know a damn thing about Star Wars. It's just and it's so funny because he's sitting in a room with all the directors of the show at that point. Like, I mean, you know, big people. I think Kathleen Kennedy's in there. Watiti, Bryce Howard, John Favreau. And they just all kind of like are watching him go on this diatribe, like open mouthed, like this is unreal. Amazing. Definitely watch that. I, I like Taika quite a bit. I have no problem with this. Even if the movie's goofy, I'm OK with a goofy Star Wars movie. If it would have been episode nine, then maybe I have a problem with it. 
Yeah. But but as a standalone movie that he just gets to take his spin on Star Wars. Awesome. Jojo Rabbit was fantastic. Well, uh, I still haven't his seen his episode. His I haven't seen it yet either. But his Incredible. episode of The Mandalorian that he directed that final episode mm-hmm. was fantastic. He didn't go overboard on jokes. I thought he did a really good job with it. That makes me trust him with Star Wars. Maybe they'll let him make new canon droids movie. <laughs> just bring it all back. <laughs> And then I guess our final piece of news that we will cover tonight, which is the most exciting piece of news for me personally. If you collect toys, you know that a lot of times we find out what toys are coming out by leaks in computer systems at stores because they will pre-order. The leaks will go. The UPCs will go into the system. And so whoever these people are, I don't know, bored people at work, I guess, go through and just like search for things. And so what they uncovered is there will be a wave of stars Black Series coming out in August that is a re-release of all the Rebels characters that have come out, which have been pretty hard to find. The Ezra goes for about 100 bucks right now. But wow. in the most exciting news that has happened in a long time... Are you getting your Zeb? Zeb is coming out, <laughs> and he's a deluxe figure. Oh, I bet he is. I bet he is. <laughs> so we finally are getting it. Everyone is ecstatic. You know, the other ones, I've got the other ones. We're hoping they do an upgrade to Ezra because the Ezra that came out is the season one kind of little kid Ezra. Yeah, so I, want, like, I, want, I want buzz cut Ezra. Yeah, I'm hoping usually when they re-release stuff like this, they'll sometimes do little things like that to kind of update them. So people are hoping they'll do buzz cut Ezra and uh, um, Kanan with the mask. Oh, yeah. The blind person that came yeah. out, yeah, he's not blind yet. But I mean, Sabine, you could update her with some different colors, I guess. Um Hera really didn't change looks, but Zeb is the big story, so I'm so happy. I had to go when I went and pre-ordered at GameStop because you can't like you can't search it in the system yet because it's not a live announced pre-order. But if you have the UPC number, you can be like, I just need you to look up this and pre-order it for me. I got a funny look. He was like, Yep, there it is. Huh. Give interesting. it to me. Interesting. In addition to that, I mean we already talked about this on the main podcast, but Clone Wars ended and it was awesome. So go back and listen to that. So, uh, Beth, what book are we talking about tonight? We haven't even mentioned the book. We are talking about a book that all of us absolutely love, and we are finally dipping our toes into the world of legends. So we are doing Darth Plagueis this week. I don't know about you guys, but I really do feel like this is probably one of the best written Star Wars books, legend, canon, whatever. One of my favorite Star Wars books of all time. What's so interesting, going back and rereading it to you, because... It was released after uh, Revenge of the Sith, and so it was kind of on the tail end of the old canon. And so it's interesting how it so many things fit and feel current, where sometimes you read the old books and you're like, oh, this is ridiculous. But it is I, definitely in that camp of making the prequels better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, James Lucino wrote this, and I think he is the best of the Star Wars novelists by a, a little bit of a mom. Claudia Gray maybe giving him a run for his money. But I love James Lucino. And yeah, this book is uh, utterly fantastic. I don't like to read books more than once usually. It's just not for me. I tend to get bored the second time through. This is a, I read this book for the third time today and I just tore through it. Loved every minute of it. So what's it about, Beth? This story is about the introduction of Sheev's master, Darth Plagueis which we only really hear about in a tiny, tiny little scene in Revenge of the Sith. Did you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? No, I thought not. It's not a story the Jedi would tell you. It's a Sith legend. 
So now we get the full story, and we are starting off with the introduction of Darth Plagueis and his master Darth Tenebris on a planet looking for Kurtosis, which actually comes into play in both Thrawn Alliances and Master and Apprentice. Plagueis quickly takes advantage of a mining explosion to kill his master so that his path to power, true power, can begin. Uh, he is already deeply involved in midichlorian and life control experiments, but he gets a new subject after being hunted down by Darth Tenebris's secret apprentice, Venomous. But he also has some banking to do as Higo Damask, who is part of the intergalactic banking clan. Part of his banking revolves around finding new projects, such as a hidden plasma deposit on Naboo. He meets a young Sheev who senses he could help him with his plans for Naboo and his plans for an apprentice. So what follows is a decades-long game of training and manipulation as Sheev, of course, has his own plans. So as Plagueis works to install Sheev as Chancellor to rule through him, Sheev's own plan is to rule the entire galaxy alone. And for the record, his name is not Sheev. Because (laughs) in in this this book, book, we love Sheev, but in this book, he's not. Because Lucas had yet to name him. Yeah. And Lucino was under the orders to not name him himself. So So he is just called Palpatine in this book. He's just called Palpatine. Mm -hmm. And and Lucino comes up with a fun way to explain why, but you can so see him jumping through the hoop right on the page. Yeah. To try to make it so to get around the fact that you just can't say his first name. It was kind of a punk out the way he got around it, but, you know, I'll allow it because his hands were tied in that. I know George Lucas did have a hand in this book. Um, So, again, going back to how well this is written, the banking clan machinations and their plotting and stuff that is not the most exciting of topics and in another author's hand this would have been extremely boring stuff but lucino writes it in such a way that it's actually kind of compelling and there's a point to all of it and it's all important this entire book is an adaptation of one scene from revenge of the sith (laughs) it's taking what's probably i guess the second best scene in all the prequels behind like duel of fates and takes that entire thing and extrapolates backwards for, what, 50, 60 years? Yeah. From that one moment to tell the tale of Darth Plagueis the Wise. Darth Plagueis was a dark lord of the Sith, so powerful and so wise, he could use the Force to influence the midi-chlorians to create life. He had such a knowledge of the dark side, He could even keep the ones he cared about from dying. He could actually save people from death. The dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. What happened to him? He became so powerful. The only thing he was afraid of was losing his power, which eventually, of course, he did. Unfortunately, he taught his apprentice everything he knew. Then his apprentice killed him in his sleep. Ironic. He could save others from death but not himself. 
Because it's not really Plagueis's book, though, is it? Oh, no. He's at the beginning, and then as soon as he meets Palpatine, it's Palpatine's book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this and, is really just a bio of Palpatine. And it really shows how the Republic did fall. The movies and, you know, even Clone Wars and all that. I mean, you see where the Jedi really screwed up. But this shows that it wasn't the Jedi, really, that were the big cause. Like, Palpatine is behind the scenes with Plagueis the whole time, putting all this stuff into motion. And, you know, the way it's laid out, I don't, even if the Jedi hadn't screwed up that much, like, it reads like there was a really good chance all this was still going to happen. It helps to make me dislike the Jedi less. Because so much lately has been making me dislike the Jedi more and more and just, God, the Jedi are just screwing up so bad and, oh, they're the worst. But there was so much else to it with this book and it shows how we got to where the Jedi could have screwed up that badly in the first place. Yeah, I I couldn't decide whether someone who hated the trade agreement stuff in Phantom Menace should or shouldn't read this book because it's a really good version of it. But it's still a bunch of trade agreements. So if you can't, don't think you can get into that, this is not, like you said, the movies and Clone Wars, those are action-adventure shows, movies. This is not an action-adventure story. It's about political intrigue, and it's about the philosophy of the Sith and things like that. And it's about character. And it's a, it's, it's what's weird about it is there's not really an A story. It's kind of episodic. You know, you're just kind of chugging from event to event to event to event. But there's not like a particular arc that you're following, a particular conflict that is resolved. It is just this is how Palpatine came to be. Well, and um, at times we're jumping years, too, in between yes. chapters. Yeah, so it feels like a biography sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think from episode one, you jump into the Trade Federation stuff in the middle of it. And, and there's not really a good explanation of how all this is working like why is there this group that can just blockade a planet against the government's wishes and things like that and so this really fills all that in and lets you see this is why this is such a big deal and how we got to this point with the federation and the intergalactic banking clan and all those people that become the separatists how all those pieces get put into place to make this happen including dooku including Sifo-Dyas even. It kind of it works on the mystery of the Sifo-Dyas. What Lucino did do, and like you said, this came out in the wake of Revenge of the Sith, and what Lucino was kind of given was a blank check to fill in a whole bunch of gaps now that the movies were over. I looked up kind of where he started on this book, and I thought it was interesting. Apparently, in the beginning, the book was going to be parallel stories about Palpatine and Qui-Gon and or I'm sorry, Plagueis. It was going to be Qui-Gon and Plagueis and how they search for immortality. And so you were getting I guess, you know, he went off that line at the end of Revenge of the Sith where Qui-Gon's figured out a way to communicate and you were going to see both those things. But they said no. (laughs) (laughs) They told him no. But there's not a lot of action in this book, really. I mean, there's some. Even the action is described kind of vaguely, though. It'll be like, then Sidious dispatched four of them mm-hmm. and you're like how i don't care how that's fine he killed them that's fine yeah like um, like when he kills his family it's like you very you vague the action of him killing his father and then oh everybody's dead <laughs> and there's blood everywhere the end yeah it does turn out that um sheev was a bloodthirsty monster like kind of from the beginning mm-hmm. i mean he wasn't torturing puppies although he might have been um no he, but they do- he was actually worse in a different way because uh when Plagueis first meets him. He's a whiny little bitch. I liked how they presented him because he was also 
he he raced speeders. That's not something that I would necessarily equate to Palpatine, but I don't know. He was just a kid. There were things about his life that I found uh, very fascinating. Um, but you're right. It does do a lot to it kind of is just a giant backstory for the Phantom Menace. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, at least at least part of the plot is just what is happening in Phantom Menace. I'm going to give you two almost an, an excruciating detail. I can't imagine the like whiteboard that Lucino had up when he was writing this thing, trying to figure out how to lay all these pieces in. But he does a masterful job of saying, yeah, that that plot that Lucas kind of half asked, which, again, I think part of that's OK because it's an adventure movie and you just have to know these are the bad guys and these are the good guys. If you want to know more, here's an, an incredibly deep dive that is also going to answer questions about lots of other characters. It's going to introduce other characters like, uh, how do you pronounce his name? Sate Pistage? Sate Pestage. I have pestage. enough audio books that I've heard okay. his name. All right, Sate Pestage. <laughs> you know, and, and other characters like that. There's a reference to. It is interesting, though. We, you know, this isn't a canon book anymore. So this is Expanded Universe slash Legends. But there are references to the Clone Wars cartoon. Uh-huh. Senator Farr, the Rodian senator, who is Padme's friend in the Clone Wars, or kind of a fa- fa- friend of the family, he's he's mentioned in it. It was written in this kind of weird gray area where the Clone Wars cartoon was still meant to fit in with the expanded universe. It's interesting and in it's how it bleeds between those two worlds. What did you think? What I really wanted to talk about is depiction of the Sith. So I have questions because I am still, after reading this book, four times really confused about the rule of two because Tenebris is supposedly keeping to the rule of two. He says he's the last of the Darth Bane Sith. Yeah, the Darth Bane line. Yeah. Yeah. But he's got secret apprentices. So is he keeping to the rule of two? And mm. and obviously, you know, Plagueis' plans are to not keep to the rule of two. I'm confused. The rule They're of bad two guys. Still doesn't make any sense. <laughs> They're, they're bad guys. Yeah, I mean, I think the rule of two, basically the rule of two is you've got, you know, your master and your apprentice. And then you've always got some, you know, side chicks in the background yeah. that you can replace <laughs> at any point. Yeah. So that way you don't got to worry. You know, one gets knocked off. We got another coming. You're just a temporary placeholder. And they kind of talk about that at one point about Dooku. Dooku is always meant to be temporary until Anakin is ready. And Maul's the same. I got Darth Maul over here. He's my assassin friend. And he names him Darth it before he's, you know, I guess officially one of the rule of two. So a Sith apprentice is a bottom bitch, is what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I just think it's, uh, yeah, they, they have this rule that they teach, but they're also evil people. Mm-hmm. And so while they're well, you know, the rule of two is is something that they use to keep their apprentice under control. But meanwhile, yeah, they're going to go off and do this. And then the apprentice in the meantime is looking for someone to help them knock off their master or working on knocking off their master and getting there. They're just bad guys. Yeah. They're just vicious, power hungry monsters. And so that's fine. You know, I that so that part doesn't bother me because it's like, yeah, they don't go by their own rules. Well, neither do I. Part of the Sith rules that goes along with this. Yes, you have the rule of two. But your other rule is at some point one is supposed to kill the other. And you're supposed to encourage this. That yep. You're supposed to be constantly telling your apprentice, yep, I'm going to train you. You think you're powerful enough to kill me? Come on and bring it. So you got to be what? ready at all times. That's just one bad to, planning. One, one to hold the power, another to uh, – I don't remember. I remember now. <laughs> <laughs> was it? I remember something about one to act as bait to the force uh, <laughs> yeah. or to the dark side and then one to have the power of the dark side. It, yeah, it just seems like poor planning on the Sith part. Like, why would I want to become a Sith if I'm training someone to kill me? Because you don't think they're going to do it. You don't think they're going to win. That's what I find. This is what I loved about the depiction of the Sith in this is the the thing that Lucas introduced in Revenge of the Sith is this 
ham handedly. Don't get me wrong. But this quest for immortality, you see it in these characters. These are characters of pure self-interest. So when they when they are when faced with the idea of their own mortality, what they're thinking is, one, they know that there's no Jedi heaven waiting for them. Uh, you know, they're just going to be annihilated. But mostly what they know is that they don't because they're so self-centered, they don't they can't conceive of a galaxy in which they do not exist. And so it seems like all of them, when they get to a certain point in their lives, get obsessed with this idea of living forever, of it, holding on to power forever. And it tracks across. And we're going to get into this later about the expanded universe versus canon. To me, what I love about this book is it tracks it tracks in both ways. It tracks in the expanded universe and it tracks in new canon about this quest for immortality and and the fact that they that each one of them presented in this, like once they get obsessed with immortality, which is even more kind of ironic since the being a Sith sense tends to make you fragile. Every Sith Lord ends up with some kind of scarring or, you know, if you look at obviously Vader's the poster child. But but in this uh, Plagueis has a mat, you know, gets his face half ripped off and has a mask. And uh, eventually Palpatine is going to get all turned into a prune. And even if you go into the old comic books with things like Darth Crate uh, in, in Star Wars Legacy, being a member of the dark side has a cost to your body. And so I I really love that in this book. And it really takes those scenes in uh, Revenge of the Sith about Anakin trying to save Padme. Again, those scenes are bad. I was thinking, wouldn't it be so much better if she had been sick? And she had said, you know, well, I will because they, she's selfless in the way the Jedi are. So like a, a Sith would never a Sith would never do what Kanan Jarrus does at the end of Rebels. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A Sith would never do that. It wouldn't even occur to them to do that. Well, it's that Sith arrogance, too. Every Sith yes. believes they are the last of the line. They're the one yeah. that's going to ascend and be, you know, the emperor or what have you forever. And every time you've got an apprentice that thinks, nope, I'm the one. And then murder yeah. happens. It, yeah. And then eventually one of them wins out. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Sidious goes through a handful of of uh, apprentices eventually. So he, you know, he's got a pretty he, he has a pretty good run considering he outlives multiple apprentices. And it's not. Well, not anymore, but he's not killed by an apprentice. Kind of, you know, it, but yeah, no, but it's very, I don't know. I just like this depiction of the Sith. Yeah, I understand about the, the rule of two, but the, the rule of two is uh, at this point in the story, how far back is Darth Bane from the story? How great was it, by the way? I had been read a expanded universe novel in a long time. All the names came flooding back to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. it was so cool! <laughs> it was all the all these old Jedi, Xar Kun and and uh, Darth was it Zana, Bane's apprentice, right? They just oh, so many names flesh back to me that don't show up anymore. I believe the psychology of them is reasonable and compelling in this. Mm-hmm. You know, like I I bought it. Like I was like, yeah, this is why these guys act this way. They are they are beings of pure self interest. And when you're facing the grave, when you start thinking about your own mortality, well, the world can't exist without me. I'm never I don't want to give up power when a Jedi, you know, you talk about Qui-Gon's search for immortality, but their immortality is they become one with the force and then they help people. Uh-huh. There's almost a, a selfless part to it where they actually should maybe rest, but they, they stick around to help people and, and they share how to do it. Yes. Uh, they, yes. Instead of coveting it. Right. That's the word one to hold the power, another to covet it. I, I like all the trade federation stuff and that stuff's really cool. But the Sith stuff is the stuff that I absolutely loved. Well, and I think what keeps the fact that this is not an action book, what keeps it from getting slow or bogged down is the characterizations. Like even Maul and his arrogance thinks that he can go off and defeat everybody when he's never been tested against anyone except 
non-force users. So the characterizations are great. The characters are all really well drawn. I I was jealous because I really wanted to write the biography of Palpatine. So I was really upset when this book came out. It's perfect. It's exactly yeah. It's 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 great. The the way Palpatine is constructed, I believe that he's the guy that we meet later or not later, since this book actually overlaps with Phantom Menace. It does. And that was one of the first things that struck me about this book is in the the prologue takes place just after he's killed Darth Plagueis. And you find out that it happens during the movies. I'm not 100 percent certain at which point in which movie he kills him, but Darth Plagueis is alive during the prequels. It had not occurred to me before because the way he describes it to Anakin, he he made it sound like a legend. So I assumed it would be something old that happened, you know, 20 years ago, at least, that he killed his master. Not like, oh, yeah, did I tell you, uh, you ever hear the story about my master I killed last month? I mean, it was 10 years ago by that point or 12, 13 years ago at that point, because he, he dies during the Phantom Menace. Yeah, he dies during the Battle of Naboo. Like, yeah. it's going on at that point. Because after he kills him, uh, Palpatine feels Maul die. Mm-hmm. Palpatine's a lion bastard. <laughs> he's telling Anakin a story and he's trying to do it without without inserting himself into it, although he's really obvious about it. You know, by making it a, a quote unquote legend, you know, he's just telling him a story. I watched that scene today after I finished the book. It's still a good scene. The Squid Lake scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good scene, though. It's I think the best McDermott is in the prequels. And I find it actually a compelling scene and a story. And, you know, and I do think uh, not from a Jedi is a great line. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like, and he plays it so well. Such a Just good moment. That facial expression he makes when he says it. Is it possible to learn this power? Not from a Jedi. Reels him right in. <laughs> yeah, he does. Um, uh, speaking of Darth Maul, you know, this really, it came out, you're right, like when Clone Wars was getting started. You know, this really is one of the first times we've seen that poor Darth Maul is just shit upon by everybody. <laughs> like, he really is so tragic. Like, you know, he thinks he's going to be the guy and that's just not going to happen. And I imagine, you know, that Lucas is pretty you know infamous for having backstories for all the characters. So I wonder how much he either shared with Luciano or like told him about Darth Maul and that he's supposed to be this kind of more tragic character. What I find interesting about Maul in this and, and other depictions as well is that, but in this where he was, um, and you know, we talk about this, it's, it's kind of a dumb part of the book where some random uh, woman on Dathomir just gives Palpatine a baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> It turns out to be Maul. But because he was raised as a baby, I don't think he has the ambition that other Sith have. He doesn't have any attachments uh-huh. other than to his master. He doesn't have he doesn't he he is he Palpatine creates a different type of Sith apprentice. He creates one that's just pure anger, pure uh-huh. rage and pure vengeance against the Jedi. But you never get a sense in, in at this stage that Maul wants to run the galaxy, that Maul wants to kill Sidious. He, he doesn't remember any other existence. So it is interesting that that Maul is also kind of unique in that way. He 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 didn't come into it later. He's not a fallen Jedi. You know, he's not someone that slid into this when he was a teenager like Sidious was. He was a baby. Mm-hmm. Well, and he seems to, I mean, going along with that, he exists outside of this set rule of two. Like yeah. you don't feel that Maul thinks he's going to rise up against Palpatine. That's just not no. in it. No, and Palpatine's kind of banking on that. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, Palpatine knows that he he creates this. He's a weapon, not a challenger. Maul in Clone Wars and and how he's you know evolved after his first death. 
is that he does get more ambitious, but he's still never like one to take over the galaxy or bring back the Sith Order. That's not his thing. I appreciate going back to uh, another thing, making the prequels better is a deeper and far more satisfying explanation of midichlorians because the way Plagueis talks about them and manipulates them and the power he has over them and the way he describes them and the way he can feel them. It makes me not hate midichlorians as much, which I didn't know would be possible. I've never hated midichlorians. Me neither. I think, me neither. I think it's an interesting idea. It's a bad um, scene. It is. It's a bad scene in the movie. Well, and it's I, badly done and poorly explained. But this really gives you, like, again, a good separation between how the Sith do things and how the Jedi do things. Whereas the Jedi work with the midichlorians and, you know, view them as more of this holy thing that they communicate with as a basically almost a symbiotic relationship, like they say, versus the Sith who control. Like, I dominate, yeah. you do what I say. Yeah, they um, want to enslave the midichlorians. Right. It's always been the case, ever since the original, uh, ever since A New Hope, it's been Luke's got potential as a Jedi because his dad did. So that means it's in the blood. Mm-hmm. I notice some people that's like eugenics type stuff and you can do whatever you want with that. But the fact is, it's always been in the blood. So when people were like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Anybody can be a Jedi. No, they cannot. And yeah, maybe we didn't need in Phantom Menace a technical explanation. We didn't need a women's razor to uh, yeah. <laughs> take some blood and make a call. Well, I mean, that leads into my, my thing I wanted to talk about was uh, Anakin. Yeah, this is the first time that really gets brought up. That, and it's different than I remembered. Yeah. I remembered it completely differently. But reading through this again, I kept going back. I was like, where's the scene where where Plagueis creates Anakin? I'm like, oh, no, that was in my brain. Yeah. The no, force I was creates Anakin to screw with Plagueis. Mm-hmm. Because the Sith are acting crazy, so it creates Anakin to stop that. But yeah, I, I was reading it too, like, wait, what, which one of them creates Anakin? Plagueis does by his own foul deeds, right? And the Force pushes back against him. Mm-hmm. And and because Plagueis is big in, in creating life with the midichlorians, he turns into like a, after his injury, again, it's that thing. He, he, he saw his own mortality when he gets ambushed that one time and gets his face chopped off and everything. That he goes and retreats to his own little planet and he turns into Dr. Moreau, basically. <laughs> and he's sitting out there with his, you know, he's impregnating animals and trying to clone stuff and everything. So his experimentation with the midichlorians and, and trying to trying to do as what, you know, uh, Palpatine would call unnatural made the force upset. I'll admit, I'm not always a fan of force as a sentient being, as a sentient thing. That ha- that does things like this, but if we're gonna accept that, then I think this is really I think this is a cool way to explain Anakin. I almost don't think of it as like the Force being a sen- sentient thing. That it's like the cosmic kind of consciousness almost. That right, right. In this world, that's how it is. And what's weird is like even the new movies play with that. Like they call it the Force Awakens. Yeah. And so that's still around, but they never really talk about it. That yeah, it's the Force puts these things out into the universe and reacts to things. Probably not consciously, but it's just how that universe works. And I like seeing that. What's well, kind of karma like too, right? They're, they're putting bad in, in so good's coming out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's it's, it's all about balance. Right? Well, and it and, goes back to like the Sith having those deformities. Like when you force yourself upon this kind of cosmic thing and you do things that are unnatural by forcing control on them, bad things happen to you. There's, and there's a there's a physical price to it. Right. The Sith do hum not humanize, but 
characterize the dark side in a sentient being like fashion. So if they if they're going to do that with the dark side, I think it has to be done with the light side as well. It's a in balance. balance. Yeah. In balance, which is what it's all about. And they're kind of does the whole story of the prequels come down to Yoda misread a prophecy or Qui-Gon misread a prophecy? <laughs> you know, like the whole thing is balance of the force and not one of them stopped to think about what balance of the force meant. Yeah. Right. Which is what Which, I always thought Rise of Skywalker was going to be finally about, was a final, like, balance. They just let right, that. It kind, of, it kind of was. I mean, yeah. it is. I mean, there are no hot Sith. You're right. So, like, <laughs> they definitely all. I mean, Kylo Ren's on a Sith. So they all end up getting messed up pretty bad, you know, including Maul. It is. I don't know. I said I love the depiction of the dark side in this book, not as like a raving madman evil it's more calculated evil is politics and capitalism yeah. <laughs> that's what you learn in this book i'm not going to say that but you know <laughs> there were certain similarities to the modern world in it i'll say um, there certainly are and the fact is lucas is writing from history the politics in the especially in the prequels are based in history they're based in roman history they're based in german history all sorts of so you know it would only it would only make sense that they, these things would have parallels to the real world I do like they included kind of a parallel with Palpatine, too, with Plagueis being Hugo Damask, that they all, at least the Sith in this book, maintain this public persona that's still entrenched in power. You know what I mean? Like, Well, they love stuff. They do love stuff. They are materialists. Yeah, well, like one of the, they don't the, hide. They've been there the whole time. And they talk about like teaching Plagueis teaches him how to hide himself from the Jedi um, and how to mask what's going on with him which again you know helps with the prequels you know that funeral scene he's sitting right there with a hood up come on people but yeah. he's been taught how to mask himself well and that's one of the phrases i really liked is that he mentions over and over again the mundane world mm-hmm. yeah and i just love that phrase for some reason because it explains how and why they are able to cloak themselves do you know who doesn't have a double identity dorothy mall mall and he even talked about it in the book, yeah. you know, it's, again, that's another thing that makes him stand apart. He is only that vessel. He doesn't have us. He doesn't have another part. Dooku is a count. You know, <laughs> like they all have something. He should have thought twice before he got those face tattoos. <laughs> it's just like in the real world. You don't yeah, get a gonna... tattoo pointing you yeah, out as a bad guy. You're Mark then. You're yeah, not well, going so... into politics with that face. Yeah, yeah, it's also hard to get a job. Yes, yeah, yeah. true. So here's something that popped into my head while I was rereading and having recently re uh watched all the prequels do you guys think that anakin's dreams with padme dying do you think they're true visions or do you think they were actually sent by palpatine to push him i went down this hole today actually <laughs> because i i had the thought like i mentioned earlier that how much cooler would it have been say if padme had been sick and she had been told that listen if you carry these babies the term there's a good chance you won't survive the birth and she commits this kind of selfless act. And Anakin says, no, 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 no. We're going to save you. And that leads into that part. But then the only thing that made me stop to think that would be better is the dream. Hayden Christensen's shirtless acting, notwithstanding. <laughs> it's hard to say because she does die. I don't know. That's why prophecies and, and future dreams are always tough to work with. I mean, what is it in in uh, the sequel trilogy? Don't they, isn't Snoke or Palpatine kind of feeding Kylo and Rey a little bit there for a while? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, well, it's the emperor the whole time, which makes sense to me. And we'll talk about that later. But I don't know. I think it could be or at least it's. I don't know. What do you think, Ryan? It's always been one of those things where, you know, is it a real vision or is it 
Anakin has broken the rules. He's broken that attachment rule. And this is kind of the result of that. In his mind, he's obsessed with what if I lose this person? What if I lose this person? And that's what's starting to drift him to the dark side. And a result of that is these visions he's having. Is it self-fulfilling or is it a premonition? Mm -hmm. Or does it matter? You know, is it just kind of feeding itself? You know? Yeah. And they talk about that a lot in the in Jedi Lost, which we'll talk about eventually, I'm sure. But with uh, Sifo-Dyas, because he has all these visions constantly of things going bad. And there's questions of, you know, is it a self-fulfilling prophecy? He saw this and now it's happened or are we reading it wrong? See, I like seeing Sifo-Dyas. I like seeing Valorum. Just gives us a really nice snapshot of the of Coruscant before Phantom Menace. And what we're walking into and setting up some of the key characters and everything. And I really enjoy that. Um, even even Padme, you know, you find out how Padme gets how Padme gets elected. And I think even Tenebris was like a starship designer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah, you said they all had jobs. I like the tie in with Camino too. That yes. Camino yeah. is from early experimentations or how they kind of got hooked up with them was them figuring out this. Well, what if we clone some bodies and transfer into them? And from that figured out, well, we can also make some clone troopers. The yeah. cloning brings up a theory that I ran across and you guys have probably read this theory too. Is Snoke a botched clone of Darth Plagueis? That was a big thing when Force Awakens came out and we first saw the hologram of Snoke. You know, I don't know. He doesn't look exactly like a Mun, but we know all the clones they grew were kind of messed up. He doesn't have the forehead for it. Right. No, he doesn't he doesn't look like immune, but that's why I'm saying like maybe he's a bot clone. I yeah. I don't no, know. Well, the Rise of Skywalker book though pretty much says that the Emperor was making clones of himself. Yeah, um, but the Snoke isn't necessarily a clone of himself though. Like he was making clones of himself, but we don't know if that's what Snoke is. Oh, you know? I assumed it was. Yeah, because I thought Snoke, he was making someone to go out and infiltrate, you know, so he wouldn't want it to look like him. Yeah, Um, I also figure always figured that little black ring on his finger was some sort of like Sith artifact that was like a leash to Palpatine. But that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right. Any any other thoughts or anything you guys would like to say about the book before we get into our further discussions? Book's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it really is. And I think it it's a good read, especially because you see how far they were going for the immortality and all the things they tried and, you know, the cost of it. So you see that this has been going on for a long time versus especially if you kind of consider parts of this in canon, you know, it doesn't make the Emperor surviving the end of Return of the Jedi as much a big deal because you see this was worked on forever to transition us into the next section. It works both ways because in the expanded universe, there was the Dark Empire saga mm-hmm. in comics where, you know, Dark Empire was a comic that came out, what, 92, uh-huh. I think. And it was uh, there was Dark Empire, Dark Empire 2, and then Empire's End, which I think was only two issues long. And the others were like five. And it told the story of the reborn emperor. That's why when we were talking about Rise of Skywalker and they're like, oh, he transferred his essence into a clone halfway across the galaxy. I'm like, yeah, OK, that's that's how he would do that, because that's how he did it in Dark Empire. The setup for Dark Empire is exactly the same as the setup for Rise of Skywalker, as far as how Palpatine gets to where he is. While Lucino was writing in that timeline where the Emperor had returned, and so it he was doing a lot to reinforce making the connection from Episode 3 and Luke in his obsession with immortality and Vader's obsession with immortality all the way to Dark Empire. You know, he didn't know that it would get erased and 30 years later they do the same story. 
but it still works in that way because it is that continuing thread of these guys wanting to hold on to power so much and 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 their desire to do anything to stay out of the grave and live forever uh i think works in both new canon and an expanded universe so i think it's kind of cool I think one thing I really like about this book, too, a lot of times in expanded universe books, whether it's new canon or legends, it often feels like to tie into the movies, there's a lot of hoops they jump through and there's a lot of kind of ham fisted tie in. This book is so seamless how it slides into the movies and doesn't make you feel like there's this big scene that's happening off that we should have seen. You know what I mean? Like yeah, those, no those hoops are there. You just can't see them. Right. And there was no reason to see those in the movie, but it feels important in this book. You don't ever get the impression like with reading a newer Timothy Zahn book that you don't feel like somebody's hands were tied. Even if they were tied, you don't feel it and it doesn't come across as well. He had to do it this way because somebody was telling him you can't do anything else. And I mean, part of that may be Revenge of the Sith had come out. Clone Wars was happening, but I don't think there was word about canon at that point. And so, I mean, at that point, they don't know sequel movies are coming. The story is kind of halted at the time. So that might make it a little easier. They still had dozens and dozens of books coming. Oh, yeah. And and, and, and yeah, no, there there was it, it does have the feeling of a, a I think we said earlier, a book that all right, we're done with the prequels. Have at it. Fill it in. I'm still waiting for that from the sequel trilogy. I'm waiting for this book from the sequel trilogy. I'm waiting for a book that just lets us to just or, or a series of books or a whole bunch of books that just dive into the 30 years between Jedi and Force Awakens and start telling those stories. I just want an Infus Nest book. I really do. I want a Kira book. Yeah. But I also want to know, I mean, The Mandalorian is the first of those stories, right? Mm-hmm. We're getting The Mandalorian as yeah. a post-Jedi story. If they're going to spin off uh, Ahsoka and Sabine from Mandalorian, then that'll be another post-Jedi story, I'm guessing. Yeah, and eventually the comics will get there. You know, the comics, the main Star Wars book has did its first run between, well, before New Hope, or no, after New Hope, excuse me. After and New now Hope, it's yeah. kind of in Empire territory. So eventually it's going to get there. Let's talk about the very few things that keep this book from being canon. So the first question is, could this book be canon? I think, except for Darth Maul, his origin. And then, Beth, what's the other one? There's one more. Oh, it was the... uh and it's a tiny one that could easily be worked around is the inclusion of Darth Plagueis has in his Chamber of Horrors. He's got a few uh, Isalamiri and Romskers, which are from the old Thrawn yeah. books and are lo- no longer canon. But I feel like they could work around that pretty easily. Or they could just the, this book could just make them canon. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I noticed, too, there were there are a few references to the true Mandalorians. And that's not something that's a thing anymore. Uh-huh. Um, and I know... All uh, apologies to Dave. I know he loves Karen Travis's Mandalorian stuff. I like Filoni's Mandalorian stuff so much more. Losing the whole true Mandalorian thing would not bother me because that's from Karen Travis's stuff. It's minor. Um, his name. His name is something. Not this through his name, but the idea that he doesn't. He has uh, abandoned his name. I mean, in headcanon, we could just say he's embarrassed by Sheev, which. Uh, <laughs> which he wouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> that's completely fair. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, the big thing is Darth Maul, the baby Darth Maul versus you know. So remind me, how 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 is what is the new the new canon origin for how he met Maul? Well, I was thinking about that and I was wondering, did they ever actually show him go get Darth Maul in anything that is canon, or am I just assuming how he came to be from watching them go pick up Savage Press? Yes, I'm trying to remember what it is. (laughs) They've I don't know if they've shown it, but it's been talked about. 
because, you know, Mother Talzin, he's with her a little longer versus just this lady, right? Sidious takes him from Mother Talzin when he's younger, but it's not like a, this lady just gives him a baby. But that's really the big, the huge difference, which, you know, you could probably ride around or just pretend that it's not that big of a deal, which it's it's really not. You know, it makes you wonder, like, they're going to have to, in New Canaan at some point, go back to Plagueis and go back to how he rose to power if they're not going to count this book. I mean, don't you think? I'm not sure they're interested yeah. yeah, I'm not I'm not sure this stuff is going to be anything that they're going to dive into. I think that while I've enjoyed a lot of the Disney stuff, I don't think they're interested in things like this because there's still movies and because there's television shows. The books are getting knocked lower, lower down in priority. And the books, most of the books seem to be tied to uh, whatever's happening that year. I mean, then, you know, we're going to get High Republic books because they're launching the High Republic. I don't think we're going to get a book about Biggs Darklighter. You know, like I just don't see that stuff happening anymore. I don't think we're going to get the same in-depth universe, at least through the novels in the new stuff as we got in the old stuff. I just don't think it's possible. And I don't I don't think they're necessarily that interested in it. I would love it. I would love to read it. Maybe someone will take hold of it one day. But they're also so desperate to move past the Skywalker saga in in some ways. And in other ways, they don't they aren't because here comes Boba Fett. Uh-huh. But uh, I don't know. I'm not sh- I'm not sure they have to do that. That's why this book to me is still kind of in my head canon, because just like uh, Tales of the Jedi and Knights of the Old Republic in my head are still canon. Because, like, why not? They don't affect anything. Yeah. Well, and what's kind of interesting is the Tarkin book that Luciano wrote references this book, yeah. at least parts of it. I mean, 11D4, who was Plagueis and then Palpatine's droid is still around. Place is brought up several times and is said in the Tarkin book that he that Palpatine was still the apprentice when he was appointed Naboo's representative to the Senate. It seems like they're going to try to kind of have it both ways and just kind of slyly reference this book as, yeah, this stuff kind of happened. Maybe not exactly what's in there, but the basics of it still went on. Isn't Tarkin one of those cusp books, though? Wasn't it? Does I feel like it was started before. Yes. They changed over. So, yeah, it was. And they just decided to keep it canon because it came out after the hand after the, the I would keep calling it the takeover like it's Hong Kong, <laughs> but, uh, the sale to Disney. And so. So, yeah, I mean, that stuff's very muddled. The thing that and I hit on it earlier that I thought really makes it work in canon is the fact that while it's setting up to me the events of Dark Empire, even though Dark Empire doesn't exist anymore, we have Rise of Skywalker and the idea that Palpatine in the years since he kills Plagueis in such a brutal way, right? He basically turns off his air supply and lets him suffocate. He thinks he's a doddering old fool and he thinks he's obsessed with immortality. But in the intervening years, as Palpatine has gotten older, as he's he's been more worn down, he started to think about it, too. So the idea that he would set up a contingency plan, I don't know. Uh-huh. To me, that fits right in with the narrative that we have now. Uh-huh. Yeah. If you want to talk about little details, the Ahsoka novel, the first chapter of the Ahsoka novel is kind of scrapped. They changed a lot. Yeah, true. And the way I've started to think about it is this. Uh, Lucas's original idea was that these stories were being told to us by by the wills and the journal of the wills, right? This was a history. Well, when you read books about history, they have differing details. I read a lot of Roman history. Nobody can agree on what Caesar's last words were because it was written in a hundred different ways. All I know is it wasn't Shakespeare's. So I've started to see Star Wars books almost as like, oh yeah, that's the book about Ahsoka. And yeah, it's vaguely the same. 
but they're just different versions of this ancient history, you know? And so uh, to me, I can handle inconsistencies more that way by just thinking like, no, they're just tales that took place a long time ago. These are historical fiction novels. And if you think of it that way, there being inconsistencies is fine, just fine. Well, and when you delve this deeply into a world, your brain can make up for things and your brain can make there be a workaround. Like I, when I was watching uh, Revenge of the Sith for the last time, there was a droid in that final no scene that matched the physical description of 114D. And I was like, oh, snap, he just destroyed that droid he's had forever. That was handed <laughs> down from Plagueis. Oh, Damn. he's not going to be happy. He's not going to be happy about that. <laughs> as far as canon and not canon, that stuff doesn't, like I was explaining, it doesn't concern to me as much anymore. But if we're talking about modern canon and what we consider the, the new canon, this book is, until they contradict it entirely, this book is going to be canon in my head. Yeah. Until they contradict it. Because there's not, because I, other than I said, most of the things you mentioned are little. The mall thing is fairly major. But most of it does not get in the way at all of the rest of the stories. Yeah. So, and I think like, we're probably going to see some of that with the books that came out post prequels. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, you know, Heir to the Empire, obviously not in canon. Yeah. Rule of Two, there's not much in there that can't be canon. No, because most of the stuff, because what what have a uh, majority of the movies were the sequel trilogy. So any of the stuff that takes place in this kind of, you know, unless it directly involves the Clone Wars and contradicts things from the show. My favorite Star Wars comic of all time is the original Tales of the Jedi books, and they're still real to me. <laughs> they're still part of the story to me. I don't think we have to say whether we recommend this book or not, right? I, I feel like everybody's gotten the point that we recommend yeah. it. We all recommend it. Yeah. And to be honest with you, if you need to skim through the Trade Federation stuff, you kind of can if you want to. So, Chad, if uh, you want to tell us what we're doing next. So in 1996, Lucasfilm launched an event that told the story between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. What happens in that year or so from Han Solo being frozen in carbonite to 3PO and R2 showing up at Jabba's Palace? And it was a huge event. There was a novel. There were a couple comics. There was a video game, there were toys, and there was even a full orchestral soundtrack on CD. There just wasn't a movie. So next time, we're going to talk about Steve Perry's Shadows of the Empire and discuss this, um, I think, fairly unique project in Star Wars history. And, and this is the one I really want to talk about, whether or not it should be canon, for more reasons than the text itself. Yeah, and we'll talk about it, but there seems to be more and more hints that it may be included. Uh, it's been a while since I've read it, so I'm excited. And I have yet to read it, so I am very interested to start. Well, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, we will talk to you guys soon. Thanks, guys, for coming on, and thanks, everybody, for listening. See you all next time. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at NeedlessThingsPodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh. Roger, roger!